welcome back to Top Roy Podcast. Please tonight, we've got the usual two men in the studio, Zach and Harvey. Harry Boyce. Um, looking forward to a bit more analysis on the old ruggers. Um, after the weekend, me and Zach are pretty content. Harvey is frustrated. And I'll be honest, this has been the constant cycle for the last 18 months on this podcast. I think since the podcast has started. But... Uh, yeah, we'll get into it, but we'll start in a happy place first anyway, boys, with the Ireland stuff. We'll just jump straight in. Zach, want to know where you watched it? Where I watched it? I watched it over some pizza at my house. <laughs> Sainsbury's Pizza, actually. Sainsbury's here. I don't know if they have them over in the mainland, but they have these wee pizza counters. You can make your own. It's quite nice. They have them in Asda, yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had some barbecue chicken and pepperoni and jalapeno pizza. Very nice. A couple of breed dogs. Here's a Jane. You know, can't go, can't go wrong. Perfect, perfect. Kick off half five on a Saturday. That that is mm. ideal because you can you know, eat. You can you can. Cra- it's it's okay to crack open a beer. You know, it's it's fine. Yeah, yeah. So um, I had a I had a splendid Saturday evening. I don't know about you boys, but I had a had a lovely one too. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned on the previous podcast, I didn't get to watch the game live. I had oh, to go. Course. I had to go incognito mode, which was successful. Um, tough but successful but because I'm in Paris uh, I couldn't really understand what people were saying anyway so if they were talking about the game at around dinner or whatever I, w- I wasn't going to find out so managed to not find out and watch it back and really really happy I did that because I had the emotion in the game so Zach we'll start from the start from the off um, straight away first talking point I guess is extending the lead as world number one is important, but did you feel do you feel the game was as important for Ireland as it was for South Africa? Because South Africa had a few few injuries and uh yeah. tried they basically tried, had a wee bit of experiment at ten with um Williamson, whereas Ireland were, you know, stuck sexton on for seventy eight minutes and decided to just just win the test, which I thought is the right thing to do because you need momentum, you need to win, you need to beat everyone. But do you feel this is going to hurt South Africa or do you think it was a coin flip of a game and South Africa won't be worried going into the World Cup against Ireland? Um, I think I think it depends. Momentum is a massive part of it. You know, it's kind of we're now a bit of a broken record on this pod. You know, momentum, momentum, momentum is, is so important and you can carry momentum as we've seen in previous years from... Um, you look at France, they carry momentum from November right through to the Six Nations and, and won a slam. But I think, um, I think, yeah, I mean, like it's a massive win for Ireland. You have to win. I think Ireland had to win. South Africa always have that kind of excuse, which they'll use knowing the um, coaching setup that they have, that um, they... Yeah, Ireland. Ireland needed to win. You know that was a, it was a it was a weakened South Africa side, incredibly strong up front. I think um South Africa bullied Ireland up front. Um, but in terms, if Andre Pollard had started for South Africa, I reckon South Africa could have um won the game, just because the kicking the kicking from South Africa just wasn't just wasn't good enough. It um, felt a bit like sometimes in schoolboy rugby where you're passing the tea around and everyone's having a go at the tea you can't exactly you can't like you can't do that that's criminal you can't you can't let cheslin colby start hitting um conversions and penalties that is that just breathes no confidence whatsoever it does the complete opposite it really hampers your team mentally and even like I think we've talked all about it in the pod before, but it is, especially if you score a try, you're, you're chasing a game and you score a try, momentum is up and it's there, you're up for it. But if you're number 10 or whoever it is kicking misses that conversion, it almost has the opposite effect. I think it, I think that kind of kills off any momentum you got from scoring five points. Um, and then that's what you saw with South Africa at the, at the weekend. Kicking wasn't good enough. There was times the kicking was going out in the full. And in a game like what we saw on Saturday, where it was really upfront rugby, teams just trying to bully each other, the physicality was incredible to watch. Kicking becomes even more important. And I think Ireland just won the kicking game. Um, and and, and I, I think that contributed a lot to the to the win. It was, and it was, it well. was Pretoria, Pretoria 09 vibes. It was the closest was. I felt to that, where like everyone was limping off, Furlong went off, Murray went off, mm-hmm. Klosky went off. Like it was just like it was gladiator stuff, and there was only going to be 
the men standing at the end who probably will need a rest week this week, but proper gladiator stuff. And Ireland, I know, Zag, you said they got bullied, but do you not feel they maybe found a way to deal with the physicality? Because although South Africa did score for one piece of absolute brilliance, hard for your favourite man, uh, Etzer Beth, um, mm-hmm. I remember in the Lions tour, you loved the two Jets Beth battle, but it, for me, it's a Beth's long clear of the best second row in the world and another one that's in conversation for world player of the year we'll get onto that because there's an Irish boy of number seven and a red scrum hat who is right in amongst it for that award but yeah Ireland found a way to deal with the physicality but at the same time Zach they, I know what you mean they were going backwards and it felt absorbing but at the same time how else do you deal with it you have to just ride your luck and it, it was good. I think I think Ireland did, and there was moments of brilliance, and there was the Andy Farrell Ireland that we're used to, kind of playing what's in front of you, quick rugby. I think we saw that for the Mac Hansen try in the corner. I think that was just um an Andy Farrell special in that sense. But it, if anything, South Africa is showing the world how you compete with Ireland, and it is up front, big, physical, and an almost like what I call like a, do you mean, like a double blitz defense. Because Ireland loved the ball at the back to Johnny Sexton and then, you know, it's out the Oh, yeah. DLND, absolutely. Exactly. But it's almost, stage on the loop. <laughs> you, can't, you can't even call it a blitz defence because it's almost like they just, like, run. If anything, you know, you should probably just hit up the crash ball from whoever's playing, to McCluskey or whoever. But it's almost like a double blitz because they just go past the screening players right to the person receiving the ball and buying. Um, so if you're Sean Edwards looking forward to Six Nations and onwards playing Ireland um, or whoever it may be, defence coaches for the respective countries, I think that double blitz could become a bit of a problem, but also an opportunity in terms of then it just leaves space in behind. But um, certainly for, say, in Australia, going playing Ireland in two weeks, if I'm Michael Checker, that's what I'm I'm focusing on. Um, well, Checker's Coaching Argentina, so I don't know why. I apologize to Michael Checker. I don't know where my mind went there. Harvey Um, knows all about Checker. Sorry, that is is a complete blunder. I was going to say, anyway, guys, do you think that was awful? Do you think this tie kind of teed it up well in terms of Ireland playing some of the best team? Obviously, we know they're well up there with the Northern Hemisphere teams. They play them often enough to realize that, but. You realise now not only by reinforcing the world number one ranking, but also by playing a team like South Africa that when it comes down to the thick of it, this kind of game against South Africa, maybe even against New Zealand, you know, you kind of got their number recently, is literally down to the finest of margins, whether that be, you know, the environment you're in, injury, like small injuries here and there. Like it, it's such a tightly contested match and tie between these two teams. I feel like it could either go either way, but it's a, I'm saying this as a, as a compliment to Ireland that you're well up there, like even when things maybe aren't always at the best or things aren't always to plan, you know, there's a lot of injuries, a lot of rotation, some last minute changes like that. And it still didn't really phase you. And you still managed to find a way to go win that game against the world champions. Yeah, I think that's test match rugby. Test match rugby is one on the finest of margins. And I think we've got, I think we have a clear top four at the minute. And then we'll get on to below that, who are capable on their day, don't get me wrong. And even the, the ones below that, you're, Argentina's and Scotland's and uh, again are capable so I think we're just on that I think however that leads very nicely on to Razzie's comments he did put out a tweet which I'll get up now uh, I don't know if you boys have read it but basically chatting about Test Match Rugby and the fine margins and I'm excited to get Zach's thoughts on it because um, and also Razzie 107 Thousand Instagram followers following zero. Doesn't follow anyone. Just 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 puts his own content out there. He's like the Elon uh, Musk of rugby. It's so funny. I love him. <laughs> so we put out tough, tough te- test match. Thanks for all the support from South Africa. Also thanks to Ireland, supporters at the Aviva. You definitely understand the game. And it's great to play in an atmosphere like yesterday, which I agree, very good atmosphere. Um, surely was a game of big battles, but small margins. And then he puts a little arrow down emoji to a video which shows Dan Sheehan kicking the ball out of a rock which then led to the Ireland try and then he's attached, good editing from Razzie um, 
of when Etzebeth picked up a loose ball, which was kicked out for Ruck, and he was running in for a try, and it got disallowed, i.e. where's the consistency? And after someone who suffered a massive ban from World Rugby for calling out referees, I honestly can't believe that he's gone there again. Or does he? Ju- is he just playing World Rugby's bluff? They're surely not going to ban him again. But that is honestly, it's. <clears throat> I just don't see. I don't see how that's helpful. You're playing like some victim mentality. It's kind of like it's always us that's getting done by referee and decisions. It's always us that getting shafted. My biggest problem is that it works. That's what fries me. Because now the officials going into France, South Africa this weekend will be going on about, they'll be making sure that they're very fair to South Africa, you know, not trying to or keep their consistency of decisions, whatever that may be with breakdown or whatever, um, scrum time. And it's just kind of like, I just can't believe it works. It's head frying. It's actually head frying. Like, it's a joke. Like, stop being some insecure wee man and just grow up and accept that you lost and move on. You know, like there's there's so many positives to take from that game. Fair enough, you don't get the win, but you show that you can still compete without the world's best ten at the helm. You all need to chill out. Honestly, it actually fries me. Like it fries me. But the biggest thing, like I said, is that it works. It actually works. That's the head fan about it. But he just seems to get away with yeah, it. Uh, uh, Fran- the French officials for this week will be on it. So. Exactly. But like it's just not. Sorry, he, they're in a very they're in a very weird position, South Africa though. And if you think about all the other major nations, they don't have it where they've got this guy who, like Telf has just explained, has an incredible following, an incredible voice in the world of rugby, but is in this weird like floating role. So, you know, he's not legally tied to the South Africa team. Anything he says or does isn't actually gonna directly implicate on the team because he's not their coach. And He's not, so he can kind of, and I feel like when you when you see more of this happening, particularly since he's had that kind of role change, it makes me think that they've known this has been brewing under the lid for a long time, and he's been wanting to say a lot of these things, or probably has said a lot of these things behind closed doors for a hell of a long time, and as now they're like, you know what, the only way we can move forward is we get the nice squeaky polished person, you know, who may be a bit of a puppet master, but they can sit there, and then we can get Razzy just doing what he wants. He has license to be the person he wants to be. But it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt us, and they, he can just sit there and do these stupid things that he loves to do all over Twitter and on the pit, you know, just everywhere. I think, I think it's been brewing for a long time, and I think if you think about it, it's actually really good management and strategy from South Africa to make sure that he's not directly in the fire, same firing line as you know this, never... the South Africa players. Yeah, so. No. Yeah, it's frustrating, but at the same time, you know, I don't know. It's it's personality. It's in rugby and stuff, and it's not robotic. It's saying how you feel, but no, but it's it, not. But like, no, 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 no. Like, come on, like if, Jacob's a purist. <laughs> oh, like come on, like we're not football. I like you know, like no, I'm, you can't, you can't be speaking about I don't know about you. This is the thing, though. He oh, he's man. almost. He's, when he's doing these things, he's almost coming from the perspective of a fan rather than... I think we still look at him as like, right, this is the head coach saying this. He's not. Like, I think it's just like if you went and watched a Squidge video, he'll sit there and dissect every single decision. He'll dissect the lead-up to a try, and there'll be hundreds of other people out there on the internet doing the exact same thing. He's just doing what they're doing now, but he's doing it from a South Africa perspective, which I don't think we've had before. It tends to be, you know, there's not much probably representation on online from South Africa. So... Give him the license to say what he wants. It's entertainment at the end of the day. I know it might actually have an implication on the match, and I've seen that before firsthand as an England fan, but you kind of have to just... It'll go to what are you going to do to him? Ban him again. It's the, it does nothing for the South Africa team. No, I think... It clearly doesn't, it doesn't affect him. You I would know, love to know what stuff. thoughts on this. Maybe you do a bit of research or something, but like, I wonder if he did this when he was at Monster. You know what I mean? Kind of like he's he's always been on the line. He's he's one of them. There is he's unique in his own right. And Eddie, to be fair, has a little bit of this too. Eddie kind of does it, but Eddie no one really listens to Eddie. Most of the coaches Eddie Gurney again. It's kind of like oh whatever. But like when Razzie does it, they're like oh yeah, fair enough. Come Most of the coaches on. tend to do it in like a very subliminal way, don't they? But he just is blatantly out there accu- accusing <laughs> accusing officials of just blatantly mismanaging the game. Like, yeah, we're not. It's we're, so we're, explicit we're, in his nature. So we won't dwell on it too much. Just finally, then. 
terms of Zach, I know you were a fan of some of the a depth depth building in this in this autumn. And we have we we can't really say we we bled one new player, Jimmy O'Brien, who Harvey you'll know. I've been chatting highly about Jimmy O'Brien for since he was making his uh, Leinster debut and a nice one is Ethan Nefewa. When he left Leinster, they asked him, who's the best young prospect coming through? And he said, Jimmy O'Brien, because of his versatility, 15 wing, 13. And he ended up playing at 13 when he is. He's a he's a winger slash fullback, but can play a bit of 13, one of those guys. But 13 would be the, the, the third on that list, I'd say, in terms of his comfort abilities. And to chuck him in at 13... <clears throat> and he was he was very good, used very good left foot kicking game, didn't hold on to the ball sometimes when you know on debut you want to you want to show what you can do. He was just really comfortable on that level. But that is again sign of a the Irish system. Like Jimmy O'Brien's what's it twenty-five? Like this this isn't a little twenty-one year old. This is slowly being nurturing this guy to so that he's ready for this for this day. So I know Zach, you've wanted to chuck in twenty year olds before, but this shows why you, you take your time with the Irish system and you give people opportunities in multiple positions and you develop them in that but way. I think I think, yeah, like I'm not <clears throat> like I've never been you know, I'm not wanting everyone to be twenty years old across the squad, but I think there's you know, when there's a Brian O'Driscoll esque player, I think you throw them in the mix to see if they sink or swim. But you know. But no, um, I wasn't sure to be honest when he came on and Sue McCluskey pulled up. I was like, oh dear goodness. Um, just knowing that South Africa would target him with the centre partnership that they have, with the wingers they have, um, even the forwards they have, he'd be a prime target on for his debut. He wasn't even expecting to be playing. It was because of the Henshaw injury, but he more than held his own. Um, he had a fantastic game. It's full credit to him, it's full credit to Leinster. Um, preparing him um that he can just rock into the squad um so no definitely um very impressed if anything he kind of looks to have at least the number 23 jersey kind of nailed on because of his versatility he played fly half at, he played fly half at school and then moved okay. to inside center within the Leinster academy and then ended up in the back three so it was just one of those so you can't wait to 26 26 at the end of November. Like this, he's he's been about. He's yeah. he's really done his time. He's done his apprenticeship to the nth degree. And I thought when that when McCluskey, who as we we can say had the best 26 minutes that you can possibly have in a test match. Um, I think he's done enough in 26 minutes now to get a star against Australia. Um, yeah, definitely. Great news that he's okay and he's going to be back in the um squad for the next two weeks. But yeah, the. The, the fact that Jimmy Bryan came in was so good at that level shows that 23 jersey needs your Elliot Dailies. But sometimes you don't start when you're 23, man. But it's a really good option to have. And it's a critical position. Every 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 squad position is so important, especially the attritional nature of Test Match Rugby. Everyone's coming on. So it's vitally important. Do you think, one quick question, do you guys think the Ireland have any concerns going forward? Well, on that, like I feel we knew we had centres locked in. We knew we had four world-class centres, well, three, and then Hume coming through looked unbelievable. But now it looks like McCluskey might pinch Hume to a World Cup spot. When you got the, the like that calibre of Hume was one of the best players in Europe last year in the European Cup to be missing out in World Cup squads, potentially, like that shows the depth at centre. Think... Ten is what we need to get on to where... Sexton played 78 minutes in terms of depth and opportunity. You'd like to possibly, when we get onto the BG predictions, see some something new there, which I think we will. But across the board, I, I'm happy enough. I personally think it's a slightly different story. I know you guys tend to focus a lot on the backs, and that's because it's obviously it's an interesting conversation and there's so many options for Ireland. But if you actually look at since Ireland's turn up in form and this rise to world number one and where they are now... The common themes for me are Kaelin Doris and Josh van der Fleer. They are the two, they are the linchpin of this team. And I think if you keep those two fit, that is the difference. I don't think there's a direct well, Dan substitute for those two players. Dan Sheehan's changed the game at two as well. Sheehan coming in. Yeah, I think Dan Dan Sheehan's your your modern your modern hooker. I think Harvey's spot on though. Like every Ireland team, every successful Ireland team in the modern era 
has been anchored by a back row, a strong back row, essentially. You saw it in 09 um, with the likes of David Wallace um, and Jamie Hazelip. Um, even like in the kind of noughties and stuff, the way Sean O'Brien and I suppose kind of Jimmy Heaslip, the way they were so integral and maybe didn't get the plaudits every week, but very much were core to that side. Any kind of any person with the astute eye for rugby um, would know that they played in a, a pivotal role in those Ireland sides. And I think for us, that's what we've got as well. And let's not underestimate um, Peter Manahy either. That kind of just the flair and the passion that kind of drives on that team, especially when you're kind of almost getting slightly bullied up front by South Africa to kind of have those boys in your corner fighting for you. Very impressed. Very impressed. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it, the reason why you can see that as well, sorry to interrupt yourself, was just because... There's been a lot of obviously you say there's there's a very strong set of centres in Ireland, but it's been changed frequently due to injury, due to suspensions, that sort of thing. I think there's still no set in stone two wingers that start for Ireland. I think there's options that are always sprouting out of the woodwork, which is good. Um, but I think you can have that in some parts of the squad, but you need other parts that are set in stone. And like you said, with Dan Sheehan and Van der Fleer and Doris for me are three players that there is without a question start this for this team. And I think even with the absences and lack of fitness for Sexton sometimes it can make up for it because there's just so much protection there for him there's so much it's a, it's almost another format of leadership as well like it's it just brings so much tempo and composure and strength to the side I think I don't know for me and the reason well, why said, I partly say that I is we'll get on to the England year. game yeah I'll get on to the England game later on and part of the reason why I've come up with that is because of the lack thereof for us but anyway it's um yeah. No, Josh Van de Flair is should be with the best side ranked in the world, Ireland. So he should be, and he's been Ireland's best player. So I think Anton Dupont, if he does something next week, might stop him getting it. But that's the only guy. Like Van de Flair's top three, and a spine you say is your hooker, second row number eight. So you're talking Sheehan, James Ryan, Keelan Doris, and then obviously that's why I never really focus on bad rows because everyone has talent coming out their ears but I know what you mean Harv that kind of world class second row level not just good club rugby uh, back rowers which are everyone pulls them out like they're the they're always the most talented players in a squad because they've got it all athletically and kind of rugby IQ but and then obviously 9-10 we'll find it with Gibson Park as you see when he came on just just different level of speed of ball and six, and then you fill back Hugh Keenan like that. Like that spine's not changing when the World Cup comes around. No one can break into that. We'll get on to Fiji now in terms of what we want to see and what will be successful. Because as we know, sometimes Fiji can be one of those games where there's no there's no real winner because it's you win, but you need to stand out. For me, I think the win big this weekend against Fiji and success would be. Joey Carberry playing well or um, Jack Crawley because now Frawley picked up another injury. The guy just keeps getting injured right before he's going to get his... The fact Frawley's not been capped is mad. He's been in the squad so much and nearly been capped, but looks like Jack Crawley is going to get a debut off the bench. I want to see both those two tens have a really good showing and give them both decent minutes and give them both a genuine opportunity of being on the bench against Australia or I know, Zag, you're going to want more of them to start the Australia test, probably Joey. But for me, yeah, my prediction is Ireland's going to win by 30. And Joey Carberry's going to let people remember that once he's fit and firing, he's very good. And Crawley's going to come on and control the ship and show if Joey goes down, we're still okay, guys. We're going to do New Zealand here and get down to it for a choice 10 at the World Cup and still win it. Yeah, I think I think you I think yeah, I like I mean there's not much to disagree with there. I mean we're going into a Fiji game, so I feel like there's not much to really disagree with. Um yeah, I mean it, for me, I'm looking forward to it. I want to see just opportunities given. Um people that need game time get game time. I want to see Michael Laurie having a good stint as well. Hopefully he can make the squad. Maybe even a Jacob Stockdale. I was thinking about this. Does he kind of get the he is in the squad? Um so it'll be interesting to see. Maybe Ian Henderson get some minutes. Um, so no, but like I, I feel sorry for Fiji, but you're not playing Scotland, guys. Um, it's not going to be down to the wire. <laughs> um, Ireland will have it long gone, so it's going to be an Ireland win. I just I don't really care about the win that's going to win for me. It's just I want to see game time. I want to see certain players, players that have been coming through. This is the opportunity. It's the Fijis and Samoas. These are when you kind of almost announce yourself generally. 
Um, yeah, opportunities for young players. And in in recent times, Ireland haven't really struggled against some of the, the lesser skilled sides. So I can see you just run away with it, put 50 on them or something ridiculous. It's good even, practice. Even with the rotated side. Um, yeah, but, but it is. Fiji will always score tries as well. I think Fiji will get a few points. They just have that in them. But, you know, about six offloads, running down the wing, bring it back, probably turn around, run 50 yards back the other way, and then come back again, still score a try. That's kind of try they would score. So they'll get a few points themselves, but it'll be high scoring and entertaining. Yeah. I hope. And our apologies, but like you are playing South Africa, New Zealand coming up. Uh, so the pod will start to be dominated by England, but we beat the Springboks. We deserved a good yes. even, a debrief on it. But Harv, just finally wrapping up on Ireland, just a quick answer. Are Ireland's number ranked team, best team in the world right now? Because there has been a bit of dispute about these rankings and stuff. Do you, from a English perspective, feel, yeah, that, that you are, you're fair enough, free tests down New Zealand, beats of Africa, beat everyone but France in Paris, you deserve to be number one? Yeah, it's, it's, it's you or France, but with the teams you played and the big scalps you've had recently, I think I think you take the take the edge there for me. Well, there you go. That's the story. That's the Instagram. Yeah, that's <laughs> very strange. <laughs> very true. It's like we've done them well. We've, we've lured them in there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm on to England. Apologies, lad. You're lucky that we waffled on so long there, so we don't have as long in England. But yeah, lost thirty to twenty nine. Um, few positives, but on the whole, losing to Argentina at Twickenham for the first time in sixteen years was it a long time? Yeah, sixteen years. Um, what can you say really? Uh, it's a similar, very, very similar story to what we were experiencing in the Six Nations. Um, it's hard, you know, with it being the first game of the kind of series here in the Autumn Nations, Autumn, whatever you want to call them, Autumn Internationals. You know, there was a lot of stupid errors, really stupid errors, which kind of are symptomatic of a team coming back together again for the first time in a while. But the the common excuse you can always have. But I don't know. It's there was a lot of handling errors. The the issue for me and the most concerning point was our discipline once again, and a lot of it was it was silly, unforced stuff. Whereas we played teams like South Africa before, and you kind of get forced into making penalties at the breakdown and, and set pieces because they're just so dominant. It wasn't really like that from Argentina. A lot of it was unforced. It was stupid offsides, which to me is a fitness thing or a discipline, just a mentality thing. You know, like sometimes if you <laughs> if they're 30 metres off the trial line, you don't need to be blitz defensing straight on your foot, like front foot, riling them. Why do you need to be? There's no need. Um, it's just silly offsides like that. A lot of handling errors, which the conditions, albeit weren't great, but that's another concern. Um, and it's just stupid stuff. You know, we kind of let them, you see it in the first half. I think it was, you know, and to be fair to Buffelli, I have to give him credit. It was an absolute clinic from him in terms of kicking and he finished off an amazing try as well. So I have to give him that. Um, and he had an awesome game to be fair to the lad. But Cracking player. Someone put him yeah. in the question for world player of the year. Um, <laughs> honestly, that is good show. Buffelli, yeah, he had an awesome game, but we were giving them everything. Like it was one of these where we would we would get a hard earned for three points and and can, you know, force an error out of them that would then result in a penalty. And then we it would just be something stupid, like we'd just be clearly offside out of a out of a ruck, and they'd just have another three point shot and they take it, and it was back to square one. And it was just we can never break away from them. And then when you're in that position where points are always tight. No matter how much possession and dominance you have in the game, you've always laid, you always leave yourself vulnerable. And to be fair to Argentina, something that you do see usually once every eight games for them is just the clinicalness of them. Um, they'd never looked too scared when they were out of possession and when they were in possession, they made moves on us. Um, like I said, the Buffelli try was excellent. Um, stupid, stupid error for the other try. Really stupid error. Um, which, yeah, we could deep dive into because I don't think it was one of these freak accidents. It's... Our play and possession is ridiculous. After two, three phases, we look like we have no shape at all. It's like every training session is just built off a set piece to do two phases and then kick the ball away or just forget what you meant, forget what rugby is. It feels like it's almost too structured, the training or the coaching or the tactics to the point where all players, including two of the greatest playmakers in world rugby right now in Smith and Farrell, have just lost all intuition onto how to run a game. You know, you feel like it's almost maybe too too many cooks spoil the broth sometimes because it doesn't look like either of them have a clear, you know, hierarchy and clear 
right, who here is actually managing this team, who's running what, who's, you know, to me, it was it was going to be Smith controls the backs, Farrell controls the forwards sort of thing, but it doesn't look like anything's really been going on and yeah. touching on. Yeah, sorry, I'm rambling loads here. But... Well, our, on, that, on that point, um, Eddie's come out and said that Farrell and Smith will take time, that they've only played together five times, but or something like that um, but apparently the amount of tests left they'll have played together around 16 times hopefully before the World Cup yeah. and he reckons that will be enough time and uh, apparently the players have come out and said they like the system it's just an execution thing yeah they, it is. They, they're not against the plan but it's been a common theme for nearly 18 months now execution and yeah. Is it is it then that you have to put that down to the players? You can't put that if the players are saying, "I like Eddie's system. I like what Eddie wants to do." Is it down to execution and personnel? It's it's, it's one of these. Like I sorry, I was just going to say one of the one of the key misses in this game was we had Tuilangi back, and I'm sure you've all seen the hit that he did defensively was insane. But ultimately, we did not employ him anyway near enough as we should have. You've got Manu Tuilangi as an outside arc thirteen, like just hit him up, he will do stuff for you. And it felt like nothing was making its way through to him. And I feel like that was maybe an execution problem. And you could argue, I don't think Farrell Smith in this combination have actually played with Tuilangi yet, which probably is the biggest issue there. They've been playing, we've been actually playing like three playmakers almost with Slade. And we've been playing, you know, or sticking some other center in there. I don't actually know if they played together. It might have once or twice, I don't know. But that wasn't employed enough. I think you saw snippets of it with Kokan and a lot of it was actually self-created from him and I have to give him credit I think there's still a few nuts and bolts errors there that are slight question marks over him but against a pretty decent side in Argentina he can run through players did it multiple times the try was a great showcase of that bounced about three players a few of which I think were back rowers and you know got himself over the line which is what we need and this is what I was crying and screaming out for in the Six Nations so I'm glad that we've seen him even though he's not by all accounts, been great for Bath um, or wherever he's playing at the moment. He's he's a test match winger, in my opinion. He's got the attributes you need. Um, so I was happy to see him play. But I don't know. I think there are still some real issues in this side. Um, no, Harv, you're, you're definitely right. There's some bright sparks like Kokan and like Tulang. And we're talking about South Africa. And sometimes, as Zach said, although Ireland got bullied by South Africa, we had to find a way to be smarter to beat them. And you, you're still going to get bullied in the game itself. And England have players, the likes of Billy, Billy the Vinopolas, Kokka, Tulangi. These guys aren't growing on trees. You don't go around and find your Kokka Nasingas that you can chuck on a wing and burst through a few players. So the players are there always for Eddie. So you just talked about spine. You said before we recorded, Freddie Stewart had a terrific game. We know you love Freddie. Um, you know, stop the attack. I felt sorry for him watching him run down Carreras. I've been there myself. You're not making it, <laughs> but the passion to go all the way yeah. and and just and, and eventually he made the hit. It wasn't good enough, obviously, but he made the hit. He got there um, in the end. But yeah, so you got him, and then you're wanting to go with Smith. I know some of the public still think that's up for debate, which you'd think at this stage people would be on the Smith board, but. Stuart Smith and then nine. Okay, that Charlie Morgan has put in a very nice piece. Shout out, he's been on the pod. We should hopefully get him on again after the autumn. He said that modern day rugby, the two nines need to work together. Um, and he said, although Young still has a role, he said JVP, as Harvey loves saying, nice name. He needs more minutes on the pitch than he has on the bench. Yeah. And I like that analogy because there's a place for Youngs. And do you simply swap roles and Youngs becomes your Conor Murray? Yeah. Is that, I think, is that simple? Yeah. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think the thing is, we've seen it been employed very successfully for Ireland with Gibson Park. And I think the only difference with Gibson Park is he doesn't have that much international experience, but his age is helping him. He looks more experienced because he's older. Whereas Jack Van Portfleet's a young lad, obviously. But just like Annex crop of nines are all sort of that age, but I think Alex Mitchell might be a little bit older. And but they're all gonna be much younger. There's gonna be a big age gap, regardless of who you put in as that starting nine. But for me, JVP has shown more in the small amount of minutes we've seen it pin play 
even as a nine, but also as this kind of explosive, exciting player to watch than I've seen from the other options. And you have to, I feel like Eddie can't just keep picking out of these three or four, Rafi, Mitchell, JVP. You can't just keep picking out of one of them. Randall, and put them in, the forgotten yeah. man. Randall, Randall started in the Six Nations multiple yeah. times. But you can't put, pick one of them for a series. He is play injured. Him twice. He is injured. Yeah, you can't pick one of them for a series, play him twice, and then forget about him again. My point is, pick one, stick with him, literally tie him to the hip of Ben Young's and make them walk around and play with each other. And well, Yeah, well, they both play at Leicester. Like, exactly. It's a, bit, it's a bit like Duke, Duke and Cooney. Like, they're both really good, but like they're, they have to work as a pair. Like South Africa do if they're props, if you notice South Africa work in systems where like the same prop and hooker, if basically if they want kits off to start one week, the marks will have to start with them. They do it in they do it in kind of pairs. So that's the, the that's the Leicester pair. They know each other inside out. Like at Leicester they share game time. At England they're gonna share game time. And yeah, it's just a matter of well, naturally, you're not going to... Unless you want to do a Danny Care and pull him off in the first half. And is there an argument? Could we start seeing that in rugby? Why can Youngs not just steady the ship the first 30 and then bring him on? Because it's it's the same because it goes in the game time. I think it's because it goes against like the pattern of the game, doesn't it? You tend to warm up and get into kind of the prime time of the game around 30, 40 minutes. So if you're going to change your key playmaker at that point, you're tempting fate quite a lot and you're expect you're hoping that the guy who comes on is going to be at it straight away i have to be at it straight away otherwise it's gonna you're gonna lose that little purple patch of the match um i don't know like the, the flip side to that is you kind of you see 30 minutes in okay we are not getting the distribution we need to break down this team you saw over the summer you know when he brought off danny care maybe an argument because there is that like if it's purely a fitness thing then yeah that makes sense but like if it's more of a tactical, you could no. see it with, maybe with certain players. I couldn't say it with like maybe maybe even see it with props. I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm trying. Maybe to... no. Maybe I misunderstood where you're going. I if I I don't think it should be this like stick it on the headline of the newspaper on a Monday morning. If you take someone off after 30 minutes, I think if it's not working, you should feel like you have the license to be reactionary in that point and make a change. And it shouldn't be this big huge thing of like, oh my god you're actually shocking because you got taken off in the first half. That should it, that should be a bit more normalised. But I don't think it should be this like weekly tactic where it's a common thing. I think if something's definitely not working, you should feel like you should change it. But yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. And then, yeah, so no, you're pretty pretty certain of your views there. You think JVP is England's nine, start him now. But then the problem comes that, is Borfrick going to agree with that? Because this is what happens with Craig Casey. Craig Casey was on a fantastic trajectory at youth level but simply couldn't display us a hundred cap international nine at club level which is fair enough I mean none of us are going to go in and displace a hundred capper and it's the same for him so if if the the issue with JVP is if he's never going to start Leicester he probably won't start England unless Eddie has it in him because I remember Luke McGrath was starting over Gibson Park until Andy Farrell decided I don't care I want Leicester's second choice nine and then now Gibson Park has become just the start nine across both teams. So it will be interesting to see how that relationship goes and the older Youngs gets because there's definitely a role for him. And then number eight wise, Harvey, you're pretty settled on Dunapola. You're you he's back. He's he's alive. We never thought we possibly might see this, which is a testament to him. And then you've got Toji and Jimmy George is back this week, back in the squad. I think that's huge. That that and he yeah, has massive. been capped. He's been capped the most by Eddie Jones. That's a good fact. I actually had a hot take that was going to come about Luke Cowan Dickey. Um, I don't like him. <laughs> Simply put, I don't like him as a hooker. For me, he certainly has something in open play that Jamie George doesn't have. He's a better tackler. I think. I think he's better in the breakdown. Um, he's a little bit more explosive and he does the nuts and bolts well enough. But for me, it's a, I don't know if it's a mental thing, but he is one of the key contributors to our lack of discipline. He seems to be lazy sometimes. We've seen some stupid errors that he did in Six Nations um, and things like that from your hooker is just not what you need. And I think if you want a bit, yeah, no, I just don't like him. 
I've, 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 I've come to a judgment now. I feel like he's had more than enough time to really like, let's be honest, at this point with the amount of experience and time he's had in the England side, we shouldn't even be talking about Jamie George anymore. We shouldn't be even talking about him. He's had that much opportunity, Karen Dickey. But I, yeah, it's and... still a debate and it's been a debate for the last couple of years between these two, constantly. Whereas with George, when the debate started of Hartley, he soon took over and took the jersey. Yeah. So, and that um... was when we were at our best, when Jamie George was a staple of the side. Maybe there's an argument, Zag, you love the Agumonia analogy of Purple Patch. Did Kyle Dickey just hit an unbelievable Purple Patch leading up to Lions Turst? Like, he started all the tests. Well, I think Lions. Exeter helped him a lot. I think his club form helped him a lot. Yeah, well, start- also, also... A bit like Sam Simmons, he suited that team to the ground. Yeah, and- that's just a classic, like, Warren Gatlin just being, like, basically given that I think it's just kind of... Send Eddie Jones, you know what? If you don't pick them, I'm gonna pick them. Um, because they're at that point they they did have their purple patches. That is true. I don't think I don't think you can bring that comparison though into the to the in the, I think he's a good moment. impact though player. If you bring him on, he'll score. Uh, yeah. To be honest, we've been chatting about England here for what 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and I'm kind of like I'm yet to properly hear anything positive about Argentina. It's very true. That's very true. I'm saying it's all I'm saying. I'm just... I said I said it about Buffelli. I said Buffelli was insane. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But like, I'm just saying, like this team. Well, Michael Checker is coaching two teams at the minute. He's coaching Australia and Argentina. He's coaching. <laughs> no, he's coaching in the Rugby League World Cup, and they were in the quarterfinal. Le Bon, Le, Le bon, What are they called? Lebanon. Some weird country, anyway. But... Lebanon. <laughs> Le bon. Le bon. Lebanon, Lebanon are a Middle Eastern team, um, yeah. right above uh, Israel. So kind of on the coast. Uh, is it on the coast of the Mediterranean? Yeah, honestly, the Rugby League World Cup. Maybe we should do a special and just talk about how random teams are in there, like Greece, Lebanon. Like what the heck is going on? <laughs> Look, he's co- he coached them. He coached them against Australia and they lost in the quarterfinal. And then obviously the World Cup's in England, and then he just dandered down the Twickers and then beat England the next day. Like he's coaching too, so it's incredible. But Michael mm-hmm. Chega for me needs airtime, and that Argentina team are regularly and they competed in the rugby championship, won a couple of games, not just one random game at home. Zealand this year, they are. They have. I've heard people say they're on a redemption mission after twenty nineteen, and they're in England's group half. And before that looked like an easy group. Now that looks like a huge pool game, which is going to decide the winner of the group. Yep, that's yeah, on. but by then, Farrell and Smith have had 16 games together, mate. So, we're gonna be the best side in the world. <laughs> do, you, do you know? Do you believe I that? Know, we have the discussion uh, 10 uh, times. Is it enough? Yeah, is it enough time? Look, I'm looking at this group. If you don't win this group, oh, all right, England, Japan, Argentina, Samoa, and Chile. What the heck? Let's be honest, it comes down <laughs> to is it gonna click or is it not gonna click? If it doesn't click, we might not get out of the group. If it clicks, then we could be in the final. Honestly, it's that much of a swing. You know, I'm sorry, but like we've been we've been down this road about two hundred times in the past two years. It's the same old, same old, just kind of like, oh, it'll eventually click. Maybe you've just got Eddie fatigue. The same way teams get clock fatigue. Maybe no, I think I think because yeah, no, Eddie's Eddie's reinventing something, but it's whether the reinvention is too ambitious. And we're yet to has make he a reinvented? Has he reinvented? Has he just put Freddie Stewart at fullback and put Marcus Smith? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's literally it. Like, <laughs> yeah, we were playing a bit 10 12 in 2019, weren't we? Yeah, the England team was always the forward file axis, was the axis. I'll be um, honest, George Ford is like, if the if it continues, the demand that can get it right and listen to instructions and execute. Maybe just um, need James Milner ask. But um, no, I think full credit to Argentina. I think they went to Twickenham, no one giving them a chance. We didn't give them a chance last week, and they um, pulled off an historic win. It was they historic, and they're they have to now look at that side. Of, I keep saying England have got England have an unbelievable side of a draw. The way Wales are going, Australia look good, but Australia look good. Then don't you know they're up and down Australia, but they're scary. Because you don't know what they're going to get. So they've got Wales and Australia in a quarterfinal and Argentina in the group. You've got to spin it on this head. Argentina are looking at that thinking, that's 
that's that's our road. We can we can go World Cup final on that side of the draw. If you're avoiding yeah. I- Ireland, New Zealand, uh, France, and all uh, on the other side of the draw, it is crazy to think that like the the way the draw is going to be. I mean, this is going completely off topic, but like how the top four sides are all on the same side of the draw. Like, what on earth is that about? Because uh, it gets drawn so far in advance, doesn't it? I think that's uh, probably where it needs to be. It's a massive problem. But why does it have to be so far in advance? Why is it not the summer before it? You got a plan. You got a plan. No, but every other major tournament across the, across all sports is yeah, is like done six months in advance, not in two years in advance. Like it was drawn when like Ireland sucked, and then now they're stuck in like a pool with Scotland. I remember thinking that was impossible. Now win the whole thing, but um, yeah, Argentina for me. You hear oh, we can do it. Argentina could get to the World Cup final on that side. But yeah, Argentina, they, a bit. They need to then push on from this and have a good next couple of games. Like this can't be their win and then chill out now. That's also like, if you want to be a World Cup final side or a side that can get late into the last stages of the knockouts and beat all the big teams, they have to push on from this. This isn't enough being a lackluster England side. I know they're away, took us all their sixteen years, blah blah blah. But realistically, they played a side about as good as. Don't want to offend any other nations out there because you wouldn't want to be compared against England right now, but. Yeah, it's like they still need to. I'm giving Argentina full credit; they played great, but there's still a lot more to come. You can't just have these big scalps every six games. Like that's not going to win you a World Cup or get you into the last stages of the World Cup for that matter. Hey, they're going to get the big scalp over six games. <laughs> that's completely false. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. Predictions then are you playing Japan? Is it another one of these? Imagine we lose to Japan, man. Killed. They're playing Japan. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, South Africa were any... horrendous about a year before the World Cup, so you never know. They um, were, and it's good, good argument to have. But Nasi came on board and started tweeting. Um, yeah. Do Do you think Eddie now has to go strong at Japan? Because if he's putting out his second string and putting that result, <laughs> that might not win. <laughs> and then you've got South Africa and New Zealand coming to town. You know, it's uh, you have to have a bit of rotation because. The first team aren't going to play four games in a row, including the teams you've just mentioned. So there will be some rotation. I think like the core spine will pretty much stay the same. I'd like to see like Tuolangi, you know, rested because although I don't think he was at his full pace against Argentina, you don't want to risk him. So leave him away. Um, and, you know, he's the kind of player that can just come in with no prep and he'll still be class. So it doesn't really matter. Um, and there's a few other players that could probably do with being rested, but Pumba's like Freddie Stewart, just play him. I know I'm probably tempted to fate here, touch wood, but he should stay fit. He's a young enough lad. He can play these games. Well, you're going to lose a game. You're going to lose a game. Smith, Smith and Farrell start. You're going to lose a game there, so you got to play them. They want these all these games together. Yeah, true. So they need to play. <laughs> um, JVP has to start. Um, I'd like to see some changes in the back row. Get Coles in there again. He had a bit of a nervy drop, but he played well, in my opinion, across the entire game. So, let him carry on playing. And yeah. comfortable. Are we all thinking comfortable England win? Or is that you going to do it? <laughs> uh, back the back, I, did, I did back Japan a couple of weeks ago. Um, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. But part of me is just going to like, you know what? For the sake of being different, I'm going to say that Japan scrape an historic win in Twickenham and everyone's calling for Eddie Jones' head. So Japan to win by one. <laughs> My my um, biggest concern is we just can't put points on the board right now to save our lives, so we can't run away from anyone. And Japan are one of these sides that can have a little flurry and string a few together. So if it, if it clicks, it clicks for them. But I feel like we'll just dominate them too much in the midfield that we're gonna we'll we'll find a way to win the match. But I don't think it's going to be a ridiculous burnout like it should be. As I always say with England, they've got they've got a good squad, they've got good players, and they have a kind draw. If they get it right, there's no reason why they can't get to the World Cup final. So, but the the this will keep carrying on. It'll be interesting Six Nations time if it's carrying on because then you have run out of time. Then you're need to fix it in the World Cup warm up games. But yeah, so far in terms of that, uh, next then I think we touch on uh France beating Australia. Zach, I know you and our good friend Christy were having a good debate about this game, and I find it very yeah. weird. I watched it back and this thought Australia had a runaway try. France then came up clutch when it mattered and that's what the big boys do. 
and they were clinical and they scored. Peno, unbelievable finish. I know Australia looked good, Australia good side, tough to put away, but that was an impressive win against Australia for France. But you and Christy were maybe thinking, you know, the chinks are in the armour, France are not the same as they used to be. Well, it's, more, it's more hopeful thinking, more than anything, to be honest. But there is, yeah, like uh, watching it being like, I think France went out with the expectation they were going to blow Australia away. Australia haven't been great. Um, well, you know, should have been the All Blacks in the summer, but fully decided the text time. So I think, um, but Australia, to be fair to them, put in a big performance. And like, it's hard to go away to France. Like, it's an awkward environment. It's a really not toxic atmosphere, but it's, it's. I would say the Stade de France is one of the best rugby atmospheres in, in, in world rugby. You could argue up there with the Well, club. Aaron Smith, Aaron Smith tweeted that his favourite place to play is the Millennium. There you go. There you go. So no, um, but I mean, like winners, winners find a way to win. So I think for France, it's a massive result for them that they did win, um, and one with a phenomenal try in the corner in the last minute from Peno. It was it was spectacular. But at the same time, I think Australia have a lot of positives to play. I think at the time I was mainly like I was kind of like buzzing off the emotion of like Australia could beat France in the Stade de France here. It's game. opened up that final game now for Ireland. That's going to be a good game in the Viva. It's going to be bouncing. And yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's good in the sense that, okay, we can actually have like a proper kind of contest with Australia, which we do in the past. Um, but but um, again, though, the more I think back in it and reflect, I'm kind of like, yeah, like winners find a way to win. I can't, I don't think you can say it exposes France problems. I just think they had a bit of an off night, but they still find a way to beat a good side. So, um, but no standouts for me. I think Penu was that try in the corner. It was unbelievable. Like it actually. Number worked. one, I've always put him in my world team. Yeah, here. he's on. He's actually unbelievable. Like he was just. I couldn't believe it. Um, but also like, I think for Australia, they definitely show signs of, of going in the right direction. Whether or not that'll come in time for next year, I doubt it. But do you do you remember us last? Autumn saying this could be the end of New Zealand because they got done by Ireland in Dublin and then went to Paris and got, you know, Roman Antamacht in the goal area that game. And yeah, they lost two in a bounce and pretty convincingly. Do you think South Africa, weirdly now, these world champs, if they go to Paris now this week and France, because usually after you scrape a good win, you know, you kick on, um, and I think I think that's, that's going to be a, that's the game of the that's the game of the weekend. I just want your quick predictions on that. Is the game of the weekend? Um, ooh, I would love to just see a France thrashing of South Africa. I think, but then that instills France the best team in the world. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it no, does. If they if they destroy if they oh, if France destroy. No. But up to Africa in New Zealand and eight o'clock on that one as well, boys. Get the points on what is up with the eight o'clock kickoffs yeah. for France. And I'm not complaining because it means that like usually like with the past you have the half five kickoff and you're like, oh, it's the night done, but not anymore. Um no, I think I think I, I genuinely actually do think France will win. Um I think they've got I think they've got a point to prove in terms of. I think this really game was perfect for them. That like we see ourselves, you see it in football quite a lot. Like the year Liverpool won the league, you know they were scraping games. Like you remember that? I think it was two one or three two against Villa, last minute winner, and then you kind of kick on from that, and then you just go and beat them for a while. So I think like there's those sort of things where you know scraping wins, like you said, can really kick off. It makes you kick on. So I expect fully expect France to win. Um, I fully expect Razzy to come out afterwards and just do what he does as well. And we chat about physicality. This is the one team that can match them blow for blow. That's also that's what also I was thinking. It's a very different. It's a very different game to the Ireland game. I think South Africa went in with the mindset and in some ways did succeed with it in terms of we're going to bully Ireland up front and they kind of did. I think Ireland, as we have talked about now, we talked about for twenty minutes, find a way to win. But I think they can't do that against France because France do have the physicality to match them. So it's going to be. I think we're in for honestly just like the pinnacle of Test match rugby in terms of physicality. I could see it being like a twelve ten, like real, just kind of like real grind, really, really tough. 
Um, with again, I think kicking game is going to be massively important, and I think South Africa, the team that they are, will improve, um, expose their own weaknesses this week in training, and will correct them. Already named their team like they're not waiting around. Will no, I, I think they're ready. Back at fifteen. They're fast, ready to fast, correct yeah. wrongs. So, uh, but I think France will probably scrape it with the score within a score. We the la- we're the last team to beat France. Just checking now. Hey, you got something going for you. Um, March of 2021, <laughs> I think. That wow. game, the COVID game. <laughs> no, the it was the year after the COVID uh, tourney now. We'll be in 23-20, it took us. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Toje going over the line. Um, Yeah, they've not lost since, and they've beaten everyone, so... um, Yeah. I think I think for France that game against Australia was just a bit of a warm up, but because they're such a good side, they still came out with a win. Slow start, bit scrappy, but they still go and put thirty points on Australia and win against a side that realistically, like all the Southern Hemisphere teams in that first round of matches, had an advantage because they've been playing regularly compared to us. So, with at least the last couple of months, and they had the fast start, but it still wasn't enough to beat France. They've warmed up now. They're going to go back to South Africa. No, I remember. I, it, I said it first. Well, as we touched in the last game, which annoyingly. I remember our last thought and we the Northern Hemisphere clean sweep was the name of one of the pods and we're nearly getting around to that again. But, Zach, why did you decide to call New Zealand out and say Japan are going to beat them? Because New Zealand now had, in terms of performance, the performance of the weekend at the Millennium, they were unbelievable. Ardi Savia, again, in the conversation for World Player of the Year. My award is going to be very big. They seem to be given out to everyone. But... <laughs> Um, he is outstanding and they hammered wheels there and they are looking good. They are I think they've got they've got a point to prove and they're and they're stepping up to the plate. I mean, in terms of Wales New Zealand, I mean Wales were an absolute shambles. They just, the, the 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 Wales just came off. I mean they were kind of to be fair to Wales, they were within they were within a score of points, you know, even like 60 minutes in, they were like, you were like, here. A part of me was like, oh, I'm going to have to eat this. Genuinely, my thought was, I'm gonna, we're going to have to eat this in the pod. <laughs> like, we all predicted New Zealand to smash them. What's going on here? Uh, but then New Zealand just pulled away and do what New Zealand do, which is, it's almost that jam, jam jar effect, like what you saw Ireland kind of do in the smaller teams in the years gone by, kind of just pressure, 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 and the team just collapses and bursts. And that's essentially what happened with New Zealand Wales. Wales are just serious, serious concerns for Wales. Um, I, we kind of touched on it last week, but I don't think we even realised, I, I don't even re- didn't even realise probably the concerns that are there. Obviously, they're playing an incredible New Zealand team with a point to prove, but... Wales don't have yeah. the depth of other nations. They like, don't. When they lose yeah. name, Wales bigger. They are in trouble. Like, Reese Priestley just... Not good enough. Callum Sheedy's injured, isn't he? Yeah, you give him a big shout out. He was nowhere yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Anscombe, Anscombe now. Yeah, yeah. Harv had Anscombe starting in his Lions team back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> but right, it's not stage, my fault he went through like what an ACL or whatever it was that he had. <laughs> but right. yeah, he's back. He's firing. He was really good in the summer. Like that's a positive. Anscombe looks good, and Anscombe is good, but. That's classic. He's an all black and he's playing against the all blacks. They always want to show a bit more, prove they were good enough. Um, but yeah, no, tough, tough shining lights for Wales, you know, trying debut. Uh classic, everyone's sporting debut. Uh, but yeah, worrying times for Wales in terms of depth. And the final thing I want to touch on is there's a debate going around. Is Alan Wynne Jones done? Because he currently doesn't start, but he's been coming off the bench and a lot of people and the beast tweeted, uh, and I like reading out my tweets, so I'll get it up here. But if you know the beast, the South African prop who actually retired after winning the World Cup, which not many people do, and a lot of people say, uh, it's it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea to retire after you win after you, you know you win the World Cup because why would you retire when you're on top? But then, because then you feel you're you, you could reach. But whereas Alan Jones is trying to eat coin every single, every single ounce of it in terms of cappage. But he said Alan Jones about time to retire. A good dancer knows when to leave the dance floor, 
I am sure there's a young Welsh law waiting for his turn in that jersey. Alan Jones is the kind of guy where if he sees that tweet, he's like, right, I'm going for another 18 months. Cheers, mate. You just pushed me. You've just pushed me on. Because it was everyone calling for his head last time he had a big injury and then he came back and I was like, oh, it's going to be done. And he was class. Yeah, he that's his and he was just... <laughs> and like, yeah, that I feel like he needs everyone to just kick him in the ass and be like, lad, you're not good enough. And I'd be like, Wheels have bigger problems here than changing one of their locks. Like, the problem is a lot bigger. You we could do a full pod just on Wales, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. The, game, the whole thing. You scapegoat. Um, I mean, if you want to make your, like, most capped player of all time a scapegoat, then by all means, do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, let's be real here. There's bigger problems. The fact that the, big, someone the bigger, who, the bigger who problems is bigger. One at all. He left at the time he was on top. Like, it's an interesting one. Yeah. He could have done it after that Six Nations, just retired there and then. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, we also have problems. I think is probably the uh, conclusion of that segment. But nice, North from back, and yeah, yeah. And just finally, before we actually leave, apologies, Zach has reminded me there. Finn Russell is back. I don't think we should maybe touch in Scotland itself. The game against Fiji was just one of those games, you know, tough, tough to get a result, but they got the grinded free and got the win, but. Finn Russell is back. Gregor has called him back in. Huge. Lucy, you need to like sit down over a beer or something and just sort it out. You know what they need to do? They need to go to couples counselling, honestly. Just sort it out. Um, I've just it's just clocked in my head that they're playing New Zealand this weekend. Oh dear goodness me. Because I was looking for them in the Saturday fixtures and couldn't find them. And then on Sunday, and there they are. Um ooh, maybe I should just summarize my feelings towards that. Oh, it's just gonna be nasty. But then again, I don't. I don't know. I might go win. I know, but the thing is, Scotland then do this, and then they'll come very close, but they won't win. It's a classic thing. Mills Milhena, Zach. Mills Milhena said that he he's happy enough he to lose against Scotland if it means they beat England. So I can. That is honestly the most defeatist attitude. That deserves a pod. Um, we should just do a pod in responding to the... Uh, he didn't say he's in saves happy. Right he, he, he said he, he could accept it. He could accept it. Honestly, that is nuts. But that's, and for another time, we're running out of time. No, uh, Scotland fans, it could be... Uh, for, either way, it's going to end in a loss, but it could be close or it could be getting very nasty very quickly. Well, ben Russell back for the biggest game of the year. Big call. Big call, big call. He but does yeah. it, doesn't he? He does. I can see Harvey thinking there. He does it. He rips it up. Any <sighs> boy, He's got the ability. Uh, well, my <laughs> prediction for that game is Scotland win. Russell show. Wow. Yeah. Fair play. I respect that. Um, New Zealand to win by about three scores, so about twenty-one points or something. Yeah. Do you think Scotland are in a better position than Wales? I do, I do, I do. But, but you hard. can see a clear path for me with Wales, like just get fit players. Nah, you can't. They've been pretty rough for the last year and a half. Uh, uh, yeah, Cam, I don't Red, know. Cam Red, Cam Red, pass back fit. Duhan still firing. I actually haven't talked about my Cam Red path um, in the past um, few. No, I yeah, it's like. I'm glad you highlighted that New Zealand Scotland game. That is low key cracker. Imagine the out the outcry on Twitter if we didn't talk about people's beloved Scotland. <laughs> no, wouldn't be good. Wouldn't be good. Could be nice tough. Could have played Scottish schools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I yeah, I genuinely think if the Murrayfield's bouncing, they came very close. Um, good few years ago now, maybe 2017. Where Hoggy nearly scored. If if New Zealand for me, if they're targeting games, is that England like there's, there's a scalp, there's a scalp here. There's one big scalp in the autumn, and if we might Argentina might have already pinched it, but yeah, interestingly, I might yeah, I'm I'm gonna stick with my prediction. I think Scotland are going to beat New Zealand and Finn Russell's gonna star. Well, I look forward to um congratulating you, Toffer. And another field prediction. <laughs> What's that? My prediction for the Scotland game. Who was Scotland even playing? What were you saying? Who is it? <laughs> Neil. 
Oh, they're gonna get bad, mate. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be. I, I predicted it last week in New Zealand. Floria tries and they'll run away with the game. It'll be a similar story, but Scotland might even have even less resistance. So, don't know. New Zealand got the bit between the teeth and he's prove a point. Go bar a few Northern Hemisphere teams, including Scotland and Wales. So, time to do it. Put another 50 on another team from the home nations. Yeah. And Zach, are you going big too? Uh, yeah, I add three scores. New Zealand win by three Controversial, scores. controversial. But yeah, if you made this far in the podcast, remember to give us a follow on Spotify at the Top Roy Podcast, YouTube Top Roy Podcast. Uh, Twitter as well at, at Rugby Telf. And yeah, uh, catch us next time when we deep dive into these and we'll see. And it's mad as well. For me right now, Test Rugby is at its best. All these games are good, credible, competitive outings. And it, yeah, just enjoy Ruggers at the minute, boys. It's the best it's ever been. So, onwards, we'll just watch next week. Cheers, boys. <laughs>